the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. All right, here we go. It's Friday, January 26, 2024. I'm Dave Congleton. Good to have Jim Richards filling in for Craig Hill. Craig will be back on Monday. In about an hour, as I announced at 3.05, we're canceling the open line. I want to hear from Professor Armstead because he's got the background in international law. What happened with the International Court of Justice and the ruling involving Israel and Gaza? He will explain. Michael Aaron Woody at 6.05. It's a lot, but we'll get through it. This hour. Last Wednesday, we had County Supervisor Don Ortiz Lake on this broadcast. And the supervisor was talking about a variety of issues, including energy. And the discussion came up about the wind power facility uh, in development off the Central Coast. And the supervisor, not to uh, twist her words, but she left the clear impression, where have we heard this before, the train has left the station and that this is a federal policy, and there's not much that the county can do, there's not much that the city of Morro Bay can do, there's not much anybody local can do because the feds are driving this train. And I thought, well, I'm not quite sure that's correct. With all due respect to the supervisor, I just have a difference of opinion with her. So we reached out to Dr. Jean Nelson, regular contributor to this broadcast, from Californians for Green Nuclear Power, who's got the background in all this. And I asked him to come in and give us the definitive explanation. Here he is now. Boy, there's the burden. How are you, sir? Oh, uh, as I said, room for improvement. But, hey, I'm really yeah. glad to be on this side of the grass. Yeah, really. And you sound like you're losing your voice. Uh, no, I'm I'm just recovering my voice. So, anyway, you oh, can see so I've got a big stack of uh, cough drops here and water. And I'm, I'll be good to go. Well, I appreciate that. All right. So, let's just start with a little 101, if we could, Doctor. With this... Wind project. What exactly is the project? Let's bring our listeners up to speed okay, here. Okay, so let's just okay. So it's it's a it's because of the way the offshore uh, contours of North American continent work, it dro- drops off really fast. And so you've got you. If we're going to have anything that uh, floats that generates meaningful amounts of power, it's got to be on giant underwater pontoons. So these are underwater. Float the the floats anyway are underwater. They're massive because they've got to support a structure that's taller than the Statue of Liberty, and we're going to have a, a forest of these things out <clears throat> at uh, the twenty mile or so uh, point. So um, this is uh, so that's the quick overview. Is that we've got floating giant wind turbines? And what's the timeline? Any sense of it yet? Oh no, I don't because uh, I'm, I'm act- this is one where I'm hoping actually the system works properly and we actually uh, get uh, careful 
consideration and eventual pushback uh, of a very ill-considered plan. And we have, I, I sent you some pictures of, of flaming wind turbines. I hope that uh, starts to pique your interest. Well, we get into all that over the course of the hour, but let's let's respond to the supervisor, please. She is uh, giving us the impression that the feds are driving this. This is a done deal. There's not much the locals can do. Absolutely wrong. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the fundamental issue is, uh, let's just imagine we have this giant uh, 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 source of intermittent power. Uh, it's got to get to land. When it gets to land, that's where the challenge is. And it's an absolute necessary condition. You can't get around this. This is just plain old physics. Um, <clears throat> in that um, it's going to first go through the uh, area of the Pacific Ocean where it meets the land, um, the uh, developers are going to have to get a lease from the State Lands Commission because uh, there is a region, essentially, I've forgotten exactly what it's called, but anyway, let's just take the, the area where the tide breaks. That's really public resources, and the State Lands Commission will have to have a will have to have a lease uh, for even if it's um, uh, under surface uh, cables, it's still uh, an encroachment on the public uh, land. So that's uh, that would be the first thing. As we march, march further inland, uh, we have to have a development in what's called a coastal zone. Now, a coastal zone is, <clears throat> I think it's uh, 1,500 feet from the high tide line inland. That's all in the coastal zone, and the state, the uh, California Coastal Commission was set up because California values that a coastal zone as such an incredibly valuable public resource sure. that any private use of that uh, must have a permit, and that's uh, that is definitely not a guaranteed deal. Uh, and then if we pair this with what they think will, well, gee, this will be equivalent to Diablo Canyon power plant, uh, what the wind uh, puffery people have to say, um, that uh, will also require a huge battery plant um, in uh, in Morro Bay at the site of the former um, uh, uh, power plant there with, with the iconic smokestacks. So it sounds like several levels of government have to be involved oh, yeah. in this. Yeah, but there's more than that. Um, there's also the fact that uh, the proposed site is smack dab in the middle of uh, large marine mammal migration zones. And I don't know if you've ever gone out to uh, to do whale watching, but no. it is really an awesome thing to do. I recommend it highly. Pick a day when it's not uh, stormy so you don't get seasick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they uh, so my wife and I went out uh, about a year ago from, um, from Morro Bay to do whale watching. And we thought we'd get uh, skunked. We wouldn't see anything at all. But right at the very end, they were able to find us a whale. And it's just amazing to see these large animals. And it would more than infuriate me as an environmentalist uh, to have these animals harmed in any way by this uh, by wind developers. And there's a multiplicity of ways that we're already seeing on the East Coast where whales are dying. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Whales are dying because of uh, interaction with uh, crews that are doing surveying, crews that are doing construction of uh, offshore wind turbines. 
um, it's just going to be a disaster. And and right now, the the most crucial animal migrates right through that. Uh, it's the uh, uh, big blue. Um, there's only 400 left in the world. And the path goes right through where this is planned? Mm-hmm. Yep, you got it. Are there any wind projects like this currently in the U.S. offshore? Uh, we're talking about offshore with floating wind turbines. The answer is no. So we're the experiment. We're the experiment, yeah, the, the lab rats. Hmm. I have a feeling you're going to get involved in this issue. Uh, I'm, I've already been involved. Um, I went up to, when this uh, issue was first raised by the Bureau of Offshore Energy Management, um, this was before COVID, uh, they had a workshop in Sacramento, and I was one of the people that was up there opposing the plan. And I still remember this uh, very affable salesman from one of the wind energy firms. Uh, we were having a one-on-one during the break. And he told me something unusual that I didn't know about seabirds. And that, and again, he told me in all earnest, earnestness that seabirds are smarter than land birds. So they know to avoid hitting the wind turbines. And I've actually seen um, um, on offshore wind developers, they've actually animated this this outlandish claim. And the reality, saying, that's not true. Yeah, it's total, <laughs> absolute, you know what. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what is different about, uh, you know, when you go to a large uh, onshore wind turbine, you'll find corpses underneath because the wind turbine is just, it kills bats, it kills um, birds, and most significantly on, on, on land, it's the, uh, it's the, the raptors, um, and including golden eagles. All right, we're in conversation with Dr. Gene Nelson doing a follow-up to our conversation earlier this week with Supervisor Ortiz. Like Again, we're not attacking her. There just seems to be a difference of opinion about uh, whether or not local municipalities, county government, other agencies are going to have any say in this wind project. Uh, We'll be back in two minutes with more of our conversation. Your phone call still to come. I'm Dave Congleton. Happy Friday. So glad you can be joining us on this Friday afternoon. We're in conversation with Dr. Gene Nelson from uh, Californians for Green Nuclear Power. Following up on our discussion earlier this week with County Supervisor Don Ortiz-Legg, who seem to suggest that this wind project being considered off of uh, Morrill Bay is a federal project and there's not much local government can do about it. Dr. Nelson is here to beg to differ. Let's talk about reporter Julie Cart. I would encourage people to start reading calmatters.org. It's a great uh, website, nonprofit uh, newspaper. She interviewed me a couple years ago about the Oceano Dunes. She's got a great article out recently on this issue. Sure, sure. And uh, that article is uh, another attempt to industrialize the coast. California's Central Coast residents work to stop or at least slow down offshore wind. Now, that came out uh, last year, October 16th, 2023, at the CalMatters website. It was actually, I was amazed. it was a two-page article in the Slow Tribune because normally the, the Tribune is just you know uh, anything that's not nuclear. Hey, we gotta love it, and and here they're reporting the fact that people, local people, are really don't want this resort area turned into an industrialized zone. Explain what that means, Doctor. Well, again, let's go back to those uh, those wind turbines taller than the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it's going to take huge facilities to do what's called lay down, which is where you're essentially uh, getting together the bits and 
pieces. And they're not little bits and pieces. They're huge bits and pieces that are going to form both the um, underwater uh, floating uh, platforms and then, of course, the wind turbines themselves with these massive blades. Um, uh, so you have to have a place to gather all this stuff together that's been built um, uh, at places other than the U.S. Um, I, I note that uh, 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 Communist China is really touting its uh, growing wind industry. Um, anyway, enough there. Um, the, so you get this stuff coming in by boat, and then you're going to put it on huge bill, uh, erector ships that build the uh, um, offshore wind turbines, and you're going to head out to the construction area, which is 20 miles or so offshore. Um, now, those big ships that are going to be used to do that are, uh, well, they're, they're industrial-sized ships. Uh, you've got to have uh, industrial-sized harbors to hold them. Uh, and, of course, they're going to uh, have industrial-sized propellers that are going to come across uh, um, whales and uh, do uh, grievous harm to those whales. And the concern is these are cities like Morro Bay and Avila. Right, right. Those are, those are places that right now uh, people revel in the fact that it's a beautiful, scenic area. I would say it's, it's akin in scenic values to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, um, easily. On the Stolberg text line, Susan checks in. Hey, Susan, question. If the Pacific Ocean levels rises from melting glaciers, could that affect the construction and maintenance of wind turbines and even the location of the battery plant in Morro Bay? Um, I don't think that's going to happen in our lifetime. Uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is a possibility. Uh, but it's a really slow-moving thing. And the reason why, of course, is that you know, we just have to go back to the observation that the uh, Earth is about uh, two-thirds covered with water. Yeah. And if you were to add one inch of thickness to that water, i.e. water levels go up one inch, I mean, that accommodates a huge amount of water when you're dealing with a, a, a sphere that's uh, 25,000 miles at, at the equator. All right, here's the softball that comes right over home plate for you, Doctor. Given that it all seems to point to Diablo Canyon staying open, uh, and you were part of that campaign, why on earth do we need wind power? Um, I think it's political correctness. That's all. Nothing more than that. In other words, this is not a way to make power. And we can just look at recent uh, European experiences where they've made these massive tens of billions of dollars investments in, in offshore wind um, that they've pinned the hopes uh, of their nation's economy on. And there, when, the, when you get these big winter, what are called anticyclones, also known as high-pressure areas, the wind turbines output drops precipitously, and that's when you need it the most. It's really, really freezing cold outside, yeah. and the wind turbines aren't there. They, they don't show up. Uh, this has been a problem in Texas. But anyway, it's not a reliable form of power. And what, if we're dealing with modern society, we need power 24-7. What other countries have experienced this and failed? You, you were talking earlier about other countries have tried this. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, the the, the big push was in uh, northern Europe. But um, let's take another example that's even more um, clear. We look at the Azores. Um, they have experimented with having small 
or smaller turbines. They're good-sized turbines, but smaller turbines to provide power for the Azores, which, again, too far away to have any kind of a link with the land. And guess what they found? They found, we got to keep those oil-fired power plants running. Another place. Let's go out to Hawaii. This is one I've been following closely. Um, And they had a coal-fired power plant on the main main island that they shut down because they were concerned about uh, the environmental degradation from coal. On the Stolberg line, a listener wants to know if you ever used to work at Diablo Canyon. Why don't we just broaden that question? What, give a little reminder of your professional background. Okay, so I have a, a Ph.D. in radiation biophysics, and uh, um, I was interested at one time in working out at Diablo Canyon Power Plant. And uh, so for a whopping three weeks, uh, I worked part of one outage, one out of 13, back in 2007, um, I was a laborer, so I was pushing broom and pouring concrete. Uh, really uh, a gross misuse of my uh, Ph.D. in radiation biophysics, but it was a job. Um, and as you probably can appreciate, jobs in the Central Coast are not easy to get. Yeah. So, so anyway, yes, I technically have worked at the plant as a contractor. I was making 26 bucks an hour back in 2007. Yeah, but you are... A staunch supporter of nuclear power. Uh, back on wind, you said that they're doing it because it's politically correct, meaning? There's this been this incredible push that started, I'm going to say, uh, in, in the early zero zeros. Um, that said, oh, we got to have renewable power, whatever the heck that means. But, but uh, that's, it's been a push for solar and a push for wind. Those power sources aren't controlled by human beings. So they're subject to the time of day for solar. Uh, they're subject to climate for rate for solar and for wind. Um, um, Charles is checking in on the Stolberg line. Hey, Charles, uh, be sure to note that the proposed industrial-sized harbors will have industrial-sized three-story-plus tall buildings, uh, loading, unloading, uh, crane-like at Long Beach and Oakland harbors. Yeah, that's they, you have to have huge facilities, and the most likely place for it is going to end up in a place like uh, Long Beach. Uh, so you have these long commutes. Well, uh, with these big machines, uh, these big boats, um, guess what's going to get end up uh, being dying and ending up on beaches? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is to me this is this is tragedy multiplied. So is any organized effort to resist this? I had Attorney Sorrell Rizzo on a couple of weeks ago, but I'm not aware of any organized group opposed to this project well, yet. Well, there's, there's a nationwide group that is powered by a, a, a woman who's just as passionate about her issue as I am about keeping Diablo Canyon open. Her name is Lisa Linoz, and hopefully you can have her on as a remote guest at sure. some point. Sure. Um, sh- she runs an organization called National Wind Watch, um, and really, really good, great scholarship, uh, and they've actually done legal pleadings uh, regarding uh, the problems uh, being caused by this uh, this industrial-sized wind uh, facilities. We are in conversation, Dr. Gene Nelson from Californians for Green Nuclear Power. Here at my invitation to explain to us the process for this wind energy 
facility that uh, they want to develop off the coast of Morro Bay. And Dr. Nelson is explaining why we do indeed have a say in the process and outlining where those steps might be. We've got news, traffic, weather, more of our conversation, your phone call still to come. You're listening to Hometown Radio. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. Where this is Doctor Day. Uh, we got Doctor Gene Nelson here. Doctor James Armstead will join us during the five o'clock hour. Uh, Doctor Nelson is with uh, Californians for Green Nuclear Power. We're talking about wind power, and Doctor Nelson has been explaining the process. If this thing is going to happen, the different hurdles that it has to go through. If you want in on the conversation, pick up the phone, give us a call, 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Also glad to read your text messages on the Stolberg line. All right, so doctor, you've laid out the fact that this is uh, far from over. The public can still be involved. What's the best way for the public to be involved? Well, uh, Dave, before we, uh, we start this uh, segment, I can't resist, but the fact is, we got a paradox here. Da-da-dum. Okay, anyway, um, so, 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 repeat the question again, I'm sorry. I was... what, what's the call to action? How can okay, people get so involved? So the call to action is going to be to, to uh, essentially, um, any project like this can knock off individual people, but... Uh, if we work together uh, in groups, uh, we have a much better chance of uh, prevailing. And we really have to be in this on, on the long, this is going to be a long marathon because the other side has literally billions of dollars and some of those are going to be our tax dollars that are going to p- push them to put through this stuff. And, you know, I also, you know, I, I sent you an article about uh, decommissioning that they're trying to find ways to basically weasel out, just like the oil industry did, a weaseled out of, uh, of decommissioning offshore uh, platforms off the coast of California. There's a bunch out there that ha- will probably never be decommissioned properly. They're going to just rust away. Um, that's, you know, we're talking such huge facilities here. Uh, we've got a. That's one of the one of the boxes that has to be checked off is to make sure that there is um, absolutely funding for um, decommissioning things, even if they don't produce any power. Let's take a call. We've got Jeff in Los Osos on KVEC. Hi, Jeff. Good evening, gentlemen. Hi, Jeff. I just wanted to weigh in on a couple items. You know, the term I think applies to the offshore wind energy proposal is is greenwash where you have false or overstated environment environmental benefits uh, relative to a given cost um and unfortunately this question of federal preemption um it applies to federal waters outside three miles of our shoreline and 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 therefore the state is involved with those waters uh, state lands commission specifically for those waters within the three mile boundary and and it appears to me that that our state representatives have enabled the, this project uh, Laird and Addis uh, and then you have uh, Senate bill 286 by McGuire that has effectively consolidated all permits at the state level and removed them from local jurisdiction 
So all of that, um, I, I think, does set the stage for some local action. Unfortunately, we have private sector promoters like Reach, if you're familiar yeah. with Reach. Yep. Um, unfortunately, they're also partially funded by the county, uh, but they're very much uh, uh, pro-offshore wind energy and actually produced a report uh, in December of 2022. Hang on a second, um, Jeff. Let me get a yep. comment on that, because I agree with Jeff that the elected officials, Addis, Laird, uh, um, Erica Stewart, they all seem to be in favor of this. Uh, sadly, they do, and uh, not one of them are a scientist or an engineer. Um, and this is a fundamental problem where we have uh, this concept that somehow or another wind energy can power our economy. And the problem is, uh, as, as you uh, chastised me on an earlier show, um, the wind doesn't always blow hard enough to run those wind turbines. So what do we do well, during, when those things happen? Well, yeah. we burn more fossil fuel. Jeff, what else? That's from you? greenwashing. Yeah, Jeff? I was just going to make one final point, and it, it it happened, or the item was heard at the Board of Supervisors this past Tuesday, and the board is channeling about a million dollars from the state natural resources agency, and it was in a four to one vote. Um, and and the question really in front of the board was whether this money is going to investigate or facilitate, and that mm. that that's yet to be answered. Mm. Thanks right. very much, Jeff. Thanks for the call. Yeah, well, I, I, unfortunately, I can guess uh, what the four to one vote was on this, um, and it's like this this uncritical acceptance of a really unreliable power source that has so many externalities. Um, I've lost track of how many problems there are uh, with wind or, or solar. Uh, but there, there's lots of problems. All right, Jeff, thank you. 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Well, what do we get out of this project, Doctor? Why is everybody in favor of it? Is it because well, they want the jobs? Well, they, they claim that this is going to be a job creation. And, yeah, I, I, you know, when you're building something that's taller than the Statue of Liberty on undersea, undersea pontoons that are anchored down, you know, thousand feet down, um, and then you've got this monstrosity on top of it. Yeah, it's going to create some jobs. Um, I would hate, you know, if I were a young person, I would hate to have to take one of those jobs because the hazards that are associated with being up at heights with uh, rotating machinery, I mean, just Awful. Listener on the Stolberg line wants to know if we would have been smarter keeping the Morro Bay power plant. Well, yes. Simply put, the, the Morro Bay power plant is a dispatchable power generator. Um, now, if we go back far enough, we find out that it was actually run on uh, fuel or it was heavy oil. Uh, and apparently it produced so much air pollution that this area, which we now you know, enjoy, it's pristine, clear air. It was a, a, an EPA non-attainment area circa 1979. Um, so this, uh, you know, the, the fact that they repowered that with natural gas was a big uh, step forward. Uh, but the, apparently the economics and also the, the permitting requirements that the state was imposing uh, made it uneconomical for the the then owner of the plant to keep keep running to produce power. But but again, the big difference between wind and uh, Morro Bay power plant is that wind works when the winds are are right, 
uh, whereas Morbay Power Plant, when it was running, worked 24-7. And how much power are we actually talking about? If this gets built the way it's designed and all the full impact, how much energy is it capable of generating? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, it will depend on how many turbines are built, but uh, let's just use the, the number um, 2,000 megawatts, uh, a number comparable to the power of Diablo Canyon Power Plant. Well, you need to take that number with a grain of salt. So let's let's assume that you put in turbines, uh, and this I think would take like forty of these massive turbines that uh, that are taller than the Statue of Liberty, um, and you put them in out there, cost of billions of dollars. Um, they're only going to produce what's called the capacity factor. Uh, of the wind. Now, there's no natural features like in Altamont Pass or San Gregorio. Those are areas where the, 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 the land features focus the wind and make it stronger. It's just open ocean out there. Um, and when I look at the NREL, that's the National Renewable Energy Lab uh, projections of, of uh, the capacity factor or percentage of full power on time, it's about somewhere between 35 and 40 percent. That means, essentially, let's just take the thir- that 35 percent number, that means 65 percent of the time it's not producing full power. It's producing the equivalent of zip, nada, nothing. And is this power for California, or is it going to go it, elsewhere? It goes. No, it's, it'll be for California. It goes into our California power grid. There's only one grid in California, and all these generators go into it, and then eventually your load, which includes your home or business, uh, is connected to that same single power grid. All right, we're in conversation with Dr. Gene Nelson from Californians for Green Nuclear Power, explaining to us the process involved in setting up this wind power project and some of the concerns that he has. We'll come back for a final segment. We're live. We're local. We're hometown. Top of the hour, it's ABC Radio News, and then Dr. Armstead joins us. We're in our final segment, Dr. Nelson. Everybody's a doctor today. If you want in on this conversation, and I know you're probably like me. You're still trying to do your research, and you're trying to figure all this out. It's a pretty complex problem. It's big, big, big as we talk about wind power. But if you want in, we need to hear from you now, please. 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We should also remind folks, doctor, there's more than one company involved here. Yeah, we've got, uh, there's a small project that will involve four wind turbines where they're going to essentially start to identify the problems. And those four wind turbines will be off the coast of Vandenberg Space Force Base. Um, and they'll be in closer to shore, and then uh, a large multinational will be involved in building the uh, these huge wind turbines uh, 20 miles offshore uh, near uh, Morro Bay. All right, let's take another call. We've got Paul on KVEC. Hi, Paul. Hey, how you doing? We're good, Paul. What's up? Hey, I'm just curious. It's kind of interesting how, you know, there's so much talk about the uh, marine sanctuary being established off our coast. Um, I believe they're going to turn that over to the two mass Indians when they do. Right. And how, how could we be talking about having a marine sanctuary set up and then also at the same time be talking about having, you know, especially San Luis Harbor being turned into a commercial harbor and having those wind farms out there? That's a fair question, Doctor. Uh, they're basically they're proposing to carve out a big chunk of what really is crucial parts of this proposed Chumash uh, uh, offshore, uh, you know, their, their, their marine sanctuary. 
for this industrialization. Uh, it really is contrary. To, I, I talk with, uh, with, uh, with a fellow that works with uh, Chumash, um, Scott Lathrop, and uh, they're not enthusiastic about uh, building um, industrial wind turbines. Sure. Paul, what else? Uh, that's about it. I mean, I'm against the project, but um, why are you? you know, against, my biggest, why are my you biggest concern it? would be, like they're saying, the migratory uh, animals through this area, the whales, especially the blue whales. I've seen only one off our coast. That was a while ago, but that's you know a pretty impressive sight, and um, you know <laughs> we got to protect our ocean. And from my understanding, the research I've done, which is you know. I don't have too many resources, but um, it just seems like everywhere where they've done this, there have been so many negatives that have outweighed the positives. Um, and a lot of places, I understand, like in Sweden or Switzerland somewhere, they're even taking out some of their wind turbines. Let's talk about that, Paul. Thanks for the call. Is he right? Uh, yeah, there there have been places where there have been um, e- either the economics haven't worked out or there have been these uh, these harms. Uh, and yeah, they're having to take out uh, wind turbines. Uh, I think one of the more ironic ones is in Germany, where um, in order to get to the highly polluting lignite that they're using to replace nuclear power in Germany, uh, they're having to take out wind farms that were uh, overlying the the lignite deposits. Eight zero five five four three eight eight three zero eight hundred five four nine five eight three two. Assuming that this was to go ahead and be developed, who would be the government agency responsible for oversight? They're really. I'm. I'm not impressed with BOEM. They're technically the. That's Bureau of Offshore Energy Management. They're supposed to have oversight over anything involving energy in the continental shelf uh, or the outer continental shelf, even. Uh, but from what I've seen from how they've been working in on the Atlant- in the Atlantic Ocean, they're asleep at the switch. Hmm. So what's the connection to the defense industry from all this? Okay, so so uh, we have this absolutely magnificent facility. I've, I've toured parts of it, uh, and I've been interested in its history, uh, called, now called the Vandenberg Space Force Base, formerly Vandenberg Air Force Base. And this facility really plays uh, important roles uh, in our national defense. Um, um, we have, uh, I'm going to just say nutcases, like uh, the head of, uh, of North Korea that want to eventually launch uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles tipped with uh, uh, um, atomic weapons uh, towards the U.S., and so the U.S. figured out that there was a credible threat a few years back and started developing a system where they can uh, um, knock out these, uh, these uh, North Korean ICBMs before they hit the U.S. Um, and some of, that, some of those installations, both the radars and the, uh, the, the missiles themselves, are, are based at Vandenberg Space Force Base. Um, that, to me, is a strong strong rationale for protecting that resource and oh, it's protected by uh, an array of surveillance radars but if you put in um, the uh, this offshore uh, thing even if it's below the horizon you have to blind the radars that uh, point in the direction of the uh, of, of this power facility and that that would be uh, a great direction to then launch an attack against the Space Force Base. I circle back to the question I asked earlier. If we have Diablo Canyon, 
Why do we need the wind power? What is the compelling need for this project? Well, they, 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 you got to remember the Antis want this plant shut down in 2030. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. I, I, I think so that's for part it to be of ready it. once Diablo eventually closes. Yeah, that's that would be certainly one piece of it. Um, um, that's, but this, but there's also just this really crazy view that says we're supposed to be using wind and we're supposed to be using solar. And when you actually look at their contributions to any large size power grid. They're not pulling their weight. Um, and So would there be enough from this project to offset what we would lose from Diablo closing eventually? No, because of that problem called capacity factor. They'll, they'll tout the, the, the nameplate values, but you have to multiply that by, let's say, 35%, and you come up with a much, much smaller number. And, of course, that's really – it's just a way to kind of to, – uh, to virtue signal uh, and – when you're spending other people's money, that's a pretty expensive virtual signaling. Doctor. Uh, I know it is, but it's a. But there's been so much waste uh, in these programs. Um, I've been to Tehachapi, where they have, um, where you can get close yeah. to the turbines. Yeah, and it's to me, it's just absolutely disgusting to see the abandoned wind turbines that are, you know, in various states of disrepair that you can see yourself as you're driving along the road. Um, you know, near the, you know, the, the crest of that little road there. And aren't they much smaller than what's being proposed? Oh, yeah, Bay? they are. Yeah. But, but the problem doesn't go away. You're dealing with a highly corrosive environment, you know, salt spray. Anybody that works in, with electricity knows that it doesn't play well uh, with, uh, with, with electricity. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left, Dr. Nelson. So what about Central Coast Energy? Oh, that's uh, that would be the subject for another uh, know, uh, but, another broadcast. But, but give us a taste. Yeah, but it's just it doesn't add anything. The, the central we were co- promised it was going to be oh the greatest thing since sliced yeah, bread. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, you can you can make all kinds of marketing claims, and salespeople have been doing this since time immemorial, and. But there's never a, a a penalty if you if you overpromise and underdeliver. But that's what this organization has done is they've overpromised and underdelivered. Um, so they are tacking on around ten percent to your power bill, um, and most of the time all they're doing is buying RECs, renewable energy credits, which make it look like from an accountant's perspective that you've got clean power, but you've just got dirty power. But you, you're just paying more for it. I mean, this thing is such. An incredible scam. It's like a shell game, isn't it? Well, it's more. Th- it's worse than a skel- shell game, um, and uh, I can't say anything good about it, so I won't. It's not not where we should be putting our future. Um, and again, we have to appreciate that power is really the vehicle by which we create jobs, we create a, a strong economy, and to to have these shell games. Uh, running the show for us is is not good policy. Uh, yeah. uh, so, Central Coast Energy, uh, we need to come back and talk more about yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, we need to continue talking about wind power. Sure, we can take another call. Let us go to Scott on KVEC. Hi, Scott. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dr. Nielsen. I got a quick uh, question. Uh, sure. A curiosity, um, how, how much... How much um, Wind power would actually be made if, if I mean, what, what, what would be the annual 
power would they consume or produce, for example? If, if they were all up and they were all ready to go, could you give us an annual kilowatt? Okay, so usually we don't use kilowatts when we're dealing with large uh, power facilities. We deal with terawatts. A terawatt is a billion kilowatt hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the realistic number, when you, you have to consider downtime as well as uh, un- unavailability of energy to drive this thing, uh, this large facility would probably be three to four terawatt hours a year. Okay, so it's it's much bigger than Palm Springs because Palm Springs is somewhere like six hundred million kilowatts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this would be a very large facility, a very expensive facility, and a first of a kind facility. To me, not a good combo. Yeah, I don't want yeah, to be I first. Yeah, I fully agree. Thank you for coming on the air. Thank All you. right, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, I don't want to be first. That's somebody yeah. else around the way. It's a big plan. Let somebody else. Well, the, there, there's going to be lots of bugs to work out in this thing. And again, things to make it something that will last. Diablo Canyon is designed to last a century. This, I think we're going to have a, we'll be lucky uh, if problems don't start turning up a decade after we start it. Dr. Nelson, always good to be in conversation with you. We appreciate you, Tom. I got about 30 seconds for a final thought. Um, this is going to take local action to stop because they're, you know, the, the moneyed interests that want this thing to go forward have been busy buying uh, officials and, uh, and you know, well-known people. Uh, we'll see TV spots and so forth. Let's work together. Let's pull and protect our beautiful Central Coast. Um, it's a place that people come to to see our natural beauty. Let's protect that natural beauty. And ask your elected officials if they're taking any wind power money. Uh-huh. Follow be, the money. Yeah, follow the money. Follow yep. the money. All right, Doctor, thank you. All right, thank you. Off we go. We've got news, traffic, and weather. Dr. Armstead joins us next. I'd stick around. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.